there is a presumption that all matters in, in a courtroom are open to the public un, unless prescribed in, by statute or some rule or other law, uh, and that the presumption will be that everything that we do in the courtroom is open to the public and thereby should be accessible to the public. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. This is Bob Ambrogi coming to you from Massachusetts. And I'm Craig Williams from a sunny Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. And Bob, we'd like to thank our sponsors, SunTrust, who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and legal firms at suntrust.com slash law and Clio, a web-based practice management program for lawyers at goclio.com. And Bob, I know you write some blogs. That's right. I write a blog called Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. Well, Craig, today we're going to talk about an innovative uh, experiment uh, with social media in the courtroom. The Night News Challenge uh, is a contest that awards, this year awarded up to $5 million for innovative ideas in journalism and news media. One of this year's winners of a $250,000 Night News Challenge grant uh, is WBUR Radio, the public radio station uh, in Boston, and uh, and uh, that grant was spearheaded by uh, our guest today, John Davidow, executive editor at WBUR, who created WBUR's proposal called the Order in the Court 2.0 project. This project is among the first nationally funded initiatives and will take a courtroom in Quincy District Court located in Massachusetts, turn it into a test lab, and change how courts deal with electronic journalism and digital technology. The courtroom will have a designated area for live blogging via a Wi-Fi network and the ability to live stream court proceedings to the public, serving as a model for courts elsewhere. Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we'll take a look at order in the courts project, reaction from the court itself, and working with the Massachusetts court system and the impact it will have on court courts nationwide. So helping us do that today are two guests. First off is the person who uh, helped uh, spearhead this grant application to night for the Night News Challenge is John Davidow, the executive editor in charge of WBUR.org. John is a recipient uh, a 2010 winner, as I said, of the Night News Challenge competition for his proposal order in the court 2-0. Since joining WBUR as news director originally in 2003, he's led the station in gaining national and regional recognition for its newsroom. This year, WBUR won the prestigious Edward R. Murrow Award for Overall Excellence, which is awarded by the Radio and Television Digital News Association. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, John. Well, thank you very much, Bob. Thanks for a very kind introduction to both you and Craig. It's great to be here. And Bob, our next guest is the Honorable Mark S. Coven. He is the Associate Justice of the Appellate Division in District Court and Presiding Justice of the Quincy District Court in Quincy, Massachusetts. Judge Coven has been working alongside John Davido to get this project off the ground. So welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Judge Coven. Well, thank you for having me. 
And and Craig, I just want to say a little bit of disclosure in that uh, both both John and I sit on a, a committee that's called the Judiciary Media Committee of the Massachusetts Courts, and at least some of the some of the early uh, germination of the idea that that led John to develop this proposal came out of that committee as some of the early discussions of it. Uh, and so I, I'm certainly uh, not at all neutral about this. I'm, I'm very much uh, excited about it. I think this is a, a great thing. So I just wanted to mention that before we get started, but go ahead. Sure. John, why don't you give us a little bit of background on your order in the court project, how you came up with these this idea and, and what inspired you? Well, uh, well, thanks, uh, Craig. The first thing I want to say is that uh, Bob uh, really uh, was part of the very early stages of our thinking about it because we, we serve on this media judiciary committee for the SJC, who this year broke our committee into, uh, actually last year, broke our committee into working groups. And the working group that I served on was this digital media uh, committee. And it was we had our first meeting. It was a week after I had attended uh, the online news association meetings where uh, the night news challenge folks presented uh, information about the contest. And uh, I left very inspired uh, with sort of what their suggestion is for um, coming up with a, a solid entry. And that was it needed to be local, it needed to be digital, it needed to be open source, and then finally it needed to solve a problem. And when, you know, at the very first meeting of this digital committee, uh, there were federal court judges, district court judges, uh, court clerks. Um, it was about a group of a dozen people and other members uh, and members of the media. And we just started, we didn't know where to start, but one of the things it just sort of came up organically was that all these various jurisdictions, different courthouses were all doing very different things when it came to uh, citizen journalists, people who wanted to blog from the courtroom, use their iPhones to record a trial. And it became almost immediately evident that depending on the day, depending on, on the mood, uh, if it was a crowded courtroom or whether it was a uh, quiet day, would determine whether or not there would be digital access. So it, it just sort of struck a chord uh, with me that it seems like there's a, a problem here. There seems something that we need to come up with a way as more and more uh, of us are walking around with these sophisticated phones, these smartphones that can pretty much replicate a, uh, anything that a reporter could do, a uh, citizen reporter or a professional reporter, and provide that opportunity. Uh, the statute that allows cameras in the courtroom uh, goes back to the late 1970s and hadn't been revised since that time in Massachusetts. And at the same time, uh, the fact that there was this sort of digital revolution and miniaturization of digital tools going on, um, as, as we all know, the media was going through its own changes. Uh, newsrooms were getting smaller. Newspapers were cutting down staff. Um, where there might have once been a reporter assigned to a particular courtroom, uh, more and more that bridge that brought the courts to the public had broken down, and the courts were less and less were being reported on less and less. 
So both from the media point of view and from the judiciary point of view, it seemed like this was an opportunity to uh, lever- leverage this change in technology at a time when the public needed to be just as informed as they had been in the past and maybe even more informed. Well, I wonder if I could ask Judge Coven, I, I, I want to talk more about this particular project, but but Judge, uh, even, even before the advent of this project, uh, I, I hear from judges uh, all the time that that they're having, uh, you know, uh, a lot of questions for them about how to deal with with new media in the courtroom. This must be something that you're encountering and and having to deal with already. Uh, what are some of the issues that you see here? Well, th- there have historically been questions about. Uh, uh, media access to the courts when it's required. Uh, there have been a number of cases, particularly cases by the Supreme Judicial Court, that have actually overturned convictions where the public or the media have been precluded um, from being present at, at various stages of a trial, including uh, uh, impanelment of jurors in a in a criminal jury case. Uh, so there has been longstanding issues about uh, historically what we could or should be doing, obviously with the advent, as John just indicated, of, of the accessibility of any citizen to be able to blog or email or text or take video uh, on their uh, sophisticated phones, it raises a host of other issues about who can do what and when and when are you interfering with a court uh, process and when are you violating uh, someone's privacy. Uh, we've had people coming in trying to shoot video of jurors, which is specifically precluded. Uh, some courts, and it hasn't really happened here, but some courts, particularly in some of the urban cities of Massachusetts, have had problems where uh, gang members have been trying to intimidate witnesses by taking pictures of witnesses who were there to testify against a certain person and uh, they want to put that out to other people. Um, and so I think there are a number of questions as the technology changes. And what I'm really hoping this project will do will be able to develop some guidelines and processes and procedures as to what's appropriate and what shouldn't be happening in the court. Judge, what do you see as the biggest problem with this uh, this plan? I mean, I, I know you've identified some situations where gang members are potentially filming jurors. What um, what kind of reaction have you gotten from uh, your your fellow members of the bench? Um, well, you know, we're up. Uh, we are an open courtroom, uh, and in most in 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 the vast majority of cases, and the vast majority of times, the public has a right to full access to what happens in the courtroom. And there there will be certain limited situations uh, uh, where uh, the law or the statutes preclude um, uh, outside coverage or any sort of openness. That's historically been true in juvenile cases where the uh, courtroom is closed, uh, mental health, certain mental health uh, commitments, uh, certain information, such as Corey information, which is protected. Uh, and, and we've got to be able to address those limited situations by, by making available to the public what is generally accepted, and that is that what we do here in, in court um, 
is open and should be accessible uh, as much as possible to the public. Um, and this, we're not doing, you know, my feeling is, uh, and the feeling of people, at least in this courthouse, and I think the Supreme Judicial Court is, uh, we're not doing anything different uh, than if a reporter or uh, a TV station or a citizen uh, came in and wanted to watch the court proceedings. They're entitled to it, and we're just enhancing the accessibility of what's already a public process. So, John, John, David, tell us uh, some of the specifics. How will this work? What What is this laboratory going to look like in Quincy District Court? Well, I think it'll look just like the courtroom does right now. Um, and there are provisions in the court right now, like most courts, where there is a camera position set for when the media comes in and covers a trial. Um, we want to create a, you know, a, a situation where the activity on the bench is recorded. We would be recording that. Uh, right now, we plan on wiring, you know, if all goes according to plan, two courtrooms. Uh, we'll start with one courtroom, which we would live stream. As you know, uh, court proceedings are recorded uh, already, so we'll be taking the audio feed from the various microphones around the courtroom, plugging them in to our, our our digital feed, and then we would be putting them on our our website uh, where the public could view it. Additionally, we would be live blogging those proceedings, explaining what is going on. There'll be a producer in the courtroom whenever uh, those live uh, uh, cases are being heard. Uh, partly as the eyes and ears of the public, and also partly as uh, working with the uh, members of the judiciary on when it's appropriate to have the camera on and when it is not appropriate to have the camera on. Um, We are just as concerned about balancing the public's right to know with uh, the public's right to a fair trial. And one of the things we hope to get out of this is, is sort of how that balance is struck. We'll also be providing uh, areas in the courtroom where uh, people will be allowed to bring their laptops in uh, and you know blog what is going on and report in real time what they are seeing. Uh, they will also you know have the ability to you know get out. Of, you know where there'll be a wireless network within that courtroom so that people will be able to have that access. You know, up till now, everybody has not even, you know, you can't bring in your camera, you can't bring in your your laptop. There are certain real restrictions there, and, and we want to create a way that won't disrupt the decorum in the courtroom, but provide access that, you know, anybody who came and watched that case that day physically, uh, that's, that, that uh, experience, as the judge said, would be replicated. Another one of the things we want to do is to take the docket. You know, the daily um, planning uh, sheet that comes out of what is going to be heard each day, what cases are going to be heard, and posting that online. And that's just another way uh, to connect what is going on in the community with the community. Um, Right now, you have to go into the courtroom, into the courthouse, to see what the business of the court is. And so at its most, you know, basic and most, you know, uh, 
at its most basic level, let's say something happens on your street. Um, you know, window windshields are broken. You know, along the way, and you you as a person who doesn't have time to get into court and wants to know if they got the guy or hear what happened to the guy, you'll be able to do that because you'll see on the daily docket whether that case is going to be heard. Um, and that's one level. What on a more sort of a broader uh, goal of ours is to use this courtroom. Uh, in Quincy as a test case for the various, um, for something that can become iterative across the Commonwealth and across the country. So we anticipate that we're going to learn an awful lot about uh, where the boundaries are, what the technical, digital, and community uh, questions that are going to bubble up as, as we take this on. And that's what the Knight uh, Foundation was hoping that this wouldn't just be something that would be great for Quincy and the people who live in that community on the South Shore. It would be great uh, to, as a demonstration uh, and almost a, a future guidebook uh, for how communities across jurisdictions around the country could adopt some of the things we learn. Judge Coven, what, what kind of... Um criticisms has the project come under and what have you had to overcome as moving this forward? Well, there really haven't been criticisms because there's nothing to criticize yet. We haven't even started and we're just still in the planning process. And I know that John and his colleagues uh, are very committed to uh, meeting with uh, interested parties, people in the community, lawyers uh, who practice here, the district attorney of Norfolk County, a host of interested parties to gain uh, their feedback and concerns and comments uh, before we actually go online on this. So there hasn't been any criticism yet. Obviously, there are concerns uh, of lawyers. The the biggest concern is what uh, John alluded to, and that is we don't want to do anything that will jeopardize a person's right to a fair and impartial trial. Uh, And to the extent that uh, anything interferes with that, and I don't know what that would be, but uh, to the extent that uh, public disclosure in some way would interfere with that person's right to a fair trial, I think uh, there are concerns with that. Uh, but but John and the uh, folks he's working with have been uh, have had a number of meetings already here with the court staff and uh, Clerk Magistrate Arthur Tobin and the, the staff of the clerk's office and uh, even with the court officers uh, here so that um, minimize any security concerns that might arise in the course of a a volatile trial or a volatile courtroom situation. Um, And so I think that uh, before we go online, whether it's next month or the following month, uh, that these concerns will have been listened to and to the extent that there are constructive uh, changes that could be made, that those would be made uh, before we uh, actually go online. Now, things will come up uh, during the course of this project, um, and, and we'll have to make some adjustments depending on what we see and what we learn. But that's the whole purpose of having an experiment and uh, having the Quincy District Court serve as a laboratory uh, to really learn about what the limits are and what the benefits are and and what the problems are. And uh, the whole purpose of this is to to be able to work cooperatively with every 
person who uses the court system and and to make it accessible to the public while not uh, uh, jeopardizing or diminishing a person's right to a uh, right to their privacy and a right to a fair trial. What about that question of, of privacy? Uh, how you know what what are the ground rules here? What what's going to be off limits, uh, if anything? Uh, how do you? Uh, uh, protect people who are in court on, you know, sensitive personal matters, family matters, uh, domestic abuse kinds of matters. Uh, uh, are, are those are those types of cases going to be within the scope of this project or or not? Well, those are all the right questions. That's what we'll have to figure out. That's one of the purposes of this project that we could learn from that. Um, the court system on the whole is open, except if limited um, uh, by some statutory exception, as I've indicated before, juvenile matters, mental health matters, Corey matters, all those things are protected by statute. Uh, and obviously those things cannot be uh, published online or in any other way. Um, you know, we're going to have to, the areas that will be discretionary um, that you talked about, um, we're just going to have to assess uh, and make some judgment on and, and as John Davidow indicated, developed some guidelines as to what should be accessible to the public and, and what should not be. Um, you know, we've already talked, for example, I don't want to do anything that would uh, jeopardize an abused woman uh, from deciding not to come in and testify against her abuser or come in to seek a domestic violence restraining order. Uh, if she would be embarrassed and humiliated and refuse to come in because it would be uh, uh, all broadcast to the public. And so I think we're going to have to make some decisions on an individual basis as to uh, whether the camera should be rolling or the camera should not be rolling in a particular situation. Uh, but as I've indicated to John and the other people involved in this case, and I think that's uh, the basic parameters uh, as established by the Supreme, Supreme Judicial Court, that there is a presumption that all matters in, in a courtroom are open to the public un, unless prescribed in, by statute or some rule or other law, uh, and that the presumption will be that everything that we do in the courtroom is open to the public and thereby should be accessible to the public. Of course, I mean, John, John, uh you you wrote a, a blog post uh, at some point uh, in this process where you talked about this idea of the sort of the, the virtual privacy of the courtroom, the fact that, uh, you know, in the current structure, uh, people have to get in there to see what's going on and get in there to go through the records and physically be present there. And, and this this brings a whole new dimension to transparency in the courtroom. So what what precautions are you taking? What How are you ex- getting looking at this privacy issue and, and, uh, and moving forward on it? Um, well, we have to be sensitive to the sort of the, impl- sort of the culture that um, exists in the courts. But at the same time, I think it's time to ask some of the questions about those sort of presumptions of, uh, of privacy. And we learned that firsthand when we thought initially that the posting of the docket would be pretty low-hanging fruit. It's a document that's generated, you know, in a central uh, uh, 
state facility that you know sends it out to the courtroom each day, and we thought it would be a fairly easy document to post. And when we started talking about it uh, with the, the CI, with the chief uh, technology officer of the court, uh, and the judge who advises him, uh, it became clear that uh, what appeared to be pretty simple may not be, and that we have to at least we have to consider um, certain things. In that particular case, it was the impact that data miners have in terms of getting getting information from any kind of public document, and what uh, precautions uh, the state has already has as part of its statutes about records. Uh, right now, I think people have to can only get a handful of records each time they go to the desk at the clerk's office to get certain information. How would that translate to an online document? I don't have the answers. Um, we're trying to figure out these things along the way. And I think what you heard Judge Coven say at the very beginning of this is this is where uh, communication is key um, right from the start, where we need to sort of be very um, sensitive to the needs of the court, but at the same time understand the presumption that, you know, the founders uh, believe that the court processes should be open. So it's, it will be a part of a daily dialogue and, and one of the areas where we, we hope to learn an awful lot. Well, we need to take a quick break. When we return, we'll talk more with John Davido and the Judge Coven about the impact of the order in the court project on our courtrooms nationwide. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and waiting through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Someone's at the door. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, I need to do that too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to legaltalknetwork.com and pick a program for CLE, click on it, and start listening. 
or go to westlegaledcenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. Perfect. I'll do that right now. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Bob Ambrogi, and my co-host Jay Craig Williams and I are joined by John Davidow, Executive Director in charge of WBUR.org, and Judge Mark Coven, Presiding Justice of the Quincy District Court in Quincy, Massachusetts. We're talking about the Order in the Court Project, uh, a laboratory on social media in the courts. Judge Coven, how did... How did Quincy get to be this laboratory? How did you get involved in this project? Uh, why your courtroom? Um, yeah, I, I asked the same question. <laughs> um, I think uh, uh, this really uh, came out of discussions with the uh, Judiciary Media Committee that um, is uh, organized and established by the Supreme Judicial Court. Um, and uh, I, I think the actually idea came from Justice Cordy, one of the justices of the Supreme Judicial Court. Um, Quincy has always, in, and way before my time, I have no pride in this, Quincy has been known to be an innovative uh, courthouse um, that has established a number of programs uh, and been uh, willing to uh, serve in a, as as an experiment in the judiciary, whether it was in domestic violence or drunk driving cases or otherwise serving the community. Um, obviously, Quincy is also um, very accessible uh, to the Boston media markets, uh, being you know a short just a short distance down the expressway. Um, and finally. Uh, Quincy is one of the busiest courts in the state. We're in the top five courts in terms of our total business, um, and we uh, reflect the problems, the social problems that exist in our communities, which I think are uh, both interesting to the general public and important for the general public to understand. So whether it's uh, uh, criminal violations, uh, civil uh, litigation, uh, domestic violence, mental health, uh, landlord-tenant uh, cases, small claims cases. So we're just uh, uh, we do a number of different things here that reflect the legal needs and the social needs of the seven cities and towns that we serve here at the Quincy District Court. So I think uh, we present a small model of the types of uh, trials and issues that are confronted in throughout the judiciary. John, what kind of uh, demand have you gotten from the general public for this? Or is this uh, something that is, you know, people have been clamoring for? Or do you think this, uh, do you have a sense that this may end up like C-SPAN, where people watch, but uh, not very many? Uh, it's a great question. Honest answer, don't know. Um, we feel as if it's important um, to provide the access um, that, you know, the further and further the public, I mean, I think it, what's important, in, and when, you know, Judge Coven and I, we were talking about this long before the proposal was even um, presented uh, to the Knight Foundation, you know, we talked about, like, why was this important? Like, why did it matter that the uh, courts uh, become, 
you know, more open and why was this a project that could help do that? And, you know, the courts, courthouses have always built, been built in the center of town. Um, you, you think back of the, uh, that, the movie To Kill a Mockingbird, where there's that scene where the entire court, uh, community pours into that courtroom. Courtrooms, you know, are no longer like that now. The only time the public gets uh, any uh, experience with the courts is through the, the media, uh, which is less and less, or through their own personal experience, uh, or their jurors. So we felt that there wasn't, you know, with this important part of the branch of government that was just sort of not being exposed to the public, that uh, this was the opportunity to take that. So in terms of what the demand is, I'm not sure, but I think that we will provide a service that was pictured by the founders way back back when for the reason that they understand where, you know, how justice is served in this country. I think, you know, Judge Coven, you know, if you want to pick up from what I'm I'm referring to, I think you put it very well. I, I just want to add one thing to that. I, I think the demand will also be generated by what sort of outreach uh, that the project makes. Uh, for example, um, I've always maintained that this court should be accessible to um, middle school, high school, even elementary students who have no idea about what happens in the courtroom. And I've maintained, and, and in fact spoken to the mayor and the school superintendent, Quincy, saying that I don't think any child should get a high school diploma without having visited a court or experienced a court proceeding to really learn about what the third branch of government is. This gives and, and and so over the years we've actually had a number of classes from uh, throughout the communities that we serve who've come in to observe what happens uh, in a court proceeding. We now have the opportunity to bring the court to the classroom and really, in a very vivid uh, and direct fashion, educate students about what happens in the court, um, what the whole system of justice is, and what the rule of law is. Uh, in in a democratic society, so I think the demand will occur in a number of different ways. One with people who just who are interested, and two, uh, who we try and encourage people uh, to to witness uh, what happens in the courtroom. I, I have a quick question, Judge Coven. It just came came to me from somebody on Twitter who wants to know whether, uh, as a result of this sort of laboratory uh, in the Quincy District Court, whether the, the, the judges and the clerks and the staff uh, will themselves become more engaged or in social media than they've been. Uh, will, will we be seeing you on Facebook sometime soon? No, you will not. <laughs> not, not even if my children try and friend me. I won't. I won't be on Facebook. No, I don't think... I don't think that's the purpose of this. It's really to give the media and the uh, people, the social commentators, a right to access um, into the courtroom. But I don't think you'll see, you know, we're precluded um, under the canons of judicial ethics from commenting on ongoing cases or otherwise discussing cases that come before us uh, while they're still in litigation. So I don't think you'll see judges becoming more involved in blogging or Twittering or emailing or even making comment. I mean, I think people will be able to view us uh, 
in our roles as uh, judges bound by the strictures and restrictions of the canons of judicial ethics. Well, gentlemen, we've just about reached the end of our program where it's time to wrap up and get your final thoughts as well as your contact information to allow our listeners to reach out to you if they have further questions or ideas. So, John, let's start with you. Uh, well, I, I really am looking forward to this, as the judge mentioned. Uh, we're just getting underway Uh Boston University and WBUR have been, you know, are gracious enough to host us, host us in this project, and and we've gotten commitments from pretty much every major media organization in the state that wants to follow this. So we're looking forward to that. And if people want to contact me, the best way to reach me is probably J Davidow, D A V I D O W at WBUR dot org. Your Honor. You know, the contact should really be made through John and WBUR. Uh, the judges here are just going to be uh, doing our jobs and hoping uh, to provide a little more understanding of what we do and how we do it to the public through John's project. Very good. And and your final thoughts about the uh, about the whole project? Well, we're excited. You know, as I said, it's an experiment. Uh, we've got a lot to learn. Uh, I think uh, we've got a lot to learn from the public, and we hope the public... Uh, can learn a lot about the uh, how the uh, court system works and the important work uh, that we do with the court and to regain public confidence in, in the fairness and the impartiality uh, and the commitment of the judiciary and the, the whole justice system in the Commonwealth. Craig, I just want to remind our listeners that if they go to newschallenge.org uh, and uh, look at uh, the list of this year's winners, they can find uh, a lot of information about the order in the court project there, the the proposal, uh, and uh, more information about it. Uh, and uh, John, I understand at some point uh, you'll have your own website for this. Is that up yet at this point? Uh, we are just... Getting it underway, it uh, looks like it's going to be orderinthecourt.us, um, but that is now under construction. Uh, my staff started seven days ago, a whopping seven days ago, and we're making really great progress very quickly, and we hope to have this up and running uh, in January. Very good. Well, Bob, that does it for this week's Lawyer to Lawyer. For our listeners, remember, you can check out all of our Lawyer to Lawyer shows at thelegaltalknetwork.com. And uh, let me just add my thanks to uh, our guests for taking the time to be with us today and uh, a reminder to our listeners that we're, of course, we're in the iTunes, uh, we're on iTunes at the podcast library, and also you can get CLE credit for listening to our program by going to the Legal Talk Network website and uh, clicking on the West uh, Legal Ed Center button there. And we'll be back again next week with another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network.
The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Som. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.